Hi, welcome to my channel. My name is Lisa Allistway, and today's topic is all about the comedy world. And I'm super excited to introduce to you today's guest, Andy Huggins. Andy is a 40-year stand-up comedy veteran, most recently seen on America's Got Talent, where he advanced to the second round. Andy has played in clubs and theaters all over the country. He is open for acts ranging from Ray Charles to Jeff Foxworthy. He has also contributed jokes to The Tonight Show with Jay Leno and the Academy Awards. Finally, he is one of the original Texas Outlaw comics whose members included Bill Hicks and Ron Schock. Andy, would you like to add anything else to your bio introduction? Uh, no, <laughs> you, you caught me <laughs> off guard for a split second, I thought, when did I send in jokes to Jay Leno? Well, yeah, I did. I did. It's been so long. I'd forgotten I'd actually done that. But now, you know, I'm a, I've been a, uh, a working comic for 40 years. It's uh, not a spectacular life story, but it's been very satisfying. It's fun. Uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's been a good life. Uh, and and I, uh, I can't imagine doing anything else. So what were you doing before you became a comedian? Well, I didn't have a career. I worked jobs, mostly in the hotel business. I was a, a desk clerk, but that wasn't going to be a, a career. I had no career, had no career plans. Um, uh, to be blunt about it, drinking took up most of my uh, life back then. Uh, that When you ask, what did you do before stand-up? Drink would have been the most accurate <laughs> okay. answer, but I was I the jobs I had were mostly as a desk clerk in a couple of different hotels. Okay, and then so how did you break into the comedy world? Well, I started. I made the decision to do stand up in 1977, 1978. I was living in Charlottesville, Virginia. No comedy clubs around. So what mm -hmm. do you do? Want to be a stand up comic? Um, there was a little coffee house where I did stand up a couple of times and was just dreadful. But whenever I watch comics on TV, they always mentioned uh, uh, the comedy store in Los Angeles. Yes. So I figured, okay, here's a good plan. We'll take uh, 900 bucks, which seemed like a fortune at the time, and we'll go to Los Angeles not knowing anybody, not having any plans. Literally, the only thing I knew was that they had an open mic on Monday. So that was the extent of my plan. Was I going to fly out to Los Angeles to live, not knowing anybody, not having any, uh, I get the, uh, I, I really do get the shivers when I think about what I did. No way that yeah. should have worked. No way that should have worked. Uh, but I got lucky and it, it did work. Uh, do, you, the, do you remember your first time on the stage at the comedy store? I do indeed. And um, it was a Monday night day, and I, you know, I can't remember how they gave out spots if you drew your name or if you signed up uh, or if they picked your name out of a hat. I don't know how they did it, but I ended up with a uh, with a pretty good spot in the evening. I don't know how many open mics you've ever been to, but there, there's usually about an hour in the course of the evening mm -hmm. when you want to go up. You don't want to go up right at the beginning. You sure as hell don't want to go up at the end. I got lucky, had a good spot, had a good set. They asked me to come back the very next week. Now, I thought, well, I had a good set. They want to see me perform again. What I didn't know was, and I didn't find out till it was over, 
But what they wanted me to do was to uh, showcase for Mitzi Shore, the owner yes. of the comedy store, uh, and have her pass judgment as to whether or not I'd be a regular there. I didn't know that's what was going on. I uh -huh. didn't know. I just thought I was, I, uh, was doing another set. So I did another set, had a good set. And next thing I know, uh, I'm a regular. And they said, well, you know, call up every week and we'll give you spots at uh, either the uh, comedy store on Sunset or the one in Westwood. So I just unbelievably lucky. I don't know what would have happened if I had gotten a late spot that first night and not done well, or yeah. if I had a good spot and just didn't do well. I mean, yeah. I, I had at that point uh, maybe six performances under my belt as a stand-up. Chances are any given show then was going to be bad because I wasn't very good, but I got unbelievably lucky, unbelievably lucky. So you weren't paid there in the beginning for any of these comedy no. shows? No, they, um, let's see, was it 79? They had a strike. They had, nobody got paid at the comedy store. Mm -hmm. Nobody got paid. Uh, right, not long after I got there, <laughs> I'm so pleased to be a part of show business. Now all of a sudden there's a damn picket line that I have to <laughs> decide what I want to cross. That's on you. <laughs> yeah. Well, the choice was to cross a picket line out of gratitude for what Mitzi Shore I mean, she, she put me in show business, so there's a great deal of gratitude. Uh, mm -hmm. Or you could, in crossing that picket line, you're crossing Jay Leno and David Letterman and Lane Boozler, and Jerry. all the biggest names were walking the picket line at the beginning. And wow. I, just, I, I just couldn't do that. I just couldn't cross a picket line with those, uh, with those folks manning the picket line. So I laid low for a while. Wow. So did you... Um... I knew you came in contact with a lot of the comedians of that day that were coming up. Uh, what was that experience like? Well, I, uh, that was the first time I'd ever been around comics, let alone well-known comics. It was very exciting. I was uh, a regular at the comedy store, and I didn't get a lot of spots. I never got spots at uh, the Sunset store where all the heavy hitters were, but um, uh because I was regular, I got to hang out. I was allowed backstage or in the kitchen or in the hallway between the two rooms. So I got to hang out with all these people that, you know, three months before I was watching on, you know, The Tonight Show or Merv Griffin. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. Uh, and again, it's the first time I'd ever talked to another comic. Mm -hmm. So, which was to all of a sudden find your tribe and to yeah. be uh, finally, and, and, you know, and the friends and the people I hung out with before I became a comic, they were all great people and interesting and, and productive and it was great, but they weren't comics and that those were my people. So to finally be around people, you can, you, you know, you had the same, the same mindset about so much and you shared a lot of the same, same, like you, you, you know, back in Virginia, I could have mentioned, uh, I could have mentioned, uh, I don't know, Lenny Bruce or, uh, and, and nobody would have known yeah. what I was talking about, which is fine. But you go, you start hanging out with comics and you know, we all had so much in common. So that's wonderful. So in your early years, I've seen your acts like recently, but in your early years, what was your jokes mostly centered around? What were you writing about? You know, I did a lot of too much. Happily, I've gotten away from it. A lot of it was still about me, but a lot of it was like wordplay and just being silly. Mm -hmm. um, and it, I, I think it was clever and funny enough, but uh, uh, 
I think this is probably true for a lot of comics. I think back on the jokes I did at the beginning, and I wondered quite seriously, I wonder how the hell did I get any laughs? How the <laughs> hell did I get laughs with that crap? And uh, it wasn't uh, as personal as it is today. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 I just kind of gradually found my way into that approach, but it's mostly silly, silly wordplay and silly observations, nothing, uh, nothing yeah. that really stood out. But the damn thing's got laughs. Yeah, I think, man, people are, they're going there for a laugh. So they're going to be on the comic side, I think, anyway, showing up. Yeah. And audiences have a wider range of what they find funny. Than, That's true, yeah. Than comics do. I mean, they'll sit and laugh at, uh, at a comic that is just uh, 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 vulgar and, and loud and very animated. And they'll laugh at somebody who's quieter that has more subtle uh, uh, observation. Yeah. People want to laugh and yeah. they just, they're willing to go wherever you want to take them. Yeah. Uh, so. Can you share with the audience a little bit about your joke writing process? How do you get your inspiration and how do you actually formulate your jokes? Well, I uh, technically, I, I write with a big ballpoint pen and a yellow legal pad. Actually, I got a white legal pad now. I can't write on the uh, the keyboard. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I can't. I can't think and type, and so that's how I do it. Um, I try to do it every day. There's a. Uh, I wish I could find who said this, but I uh, read a quote from an author one time. I think he was a novelist, and he says, "You got to write every day because most of what you write is going to be crap, and you just got to get it out of your system." Mm -hmm. That's what I try to do is write every day. And you know, topics, if, if, if you're pretty much uh, tuned into thinking like a comic, then you just see things and they, uh, they, they attract your attention. Sometimes it's the punchline and you work backwards and come up with a setup. Sometimes you, you, you have a, uh, a premise um, uh, that uh, you say, well, this, this should lead somewhere let's let's see where it goes i'm trying to think of something i've uh written recently but you know the uh the uh very popular word these days is being woke woke <laughs> yes uh, and so i hear that yeah, okay there's something to, something that somebody who isn't really woke or doesn't even know what it means can yeah. do with right. slang like that is always a uh, a uh, 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 funny way to go for somebody uh my age, I, you know, I've gotten use out of uh, uh, the, the word ratchet. Uh, yes, yes. I, Which is uh, a funny word just in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, but uh, to have a 71-year-old man refer to somebody as being ratchet. Yes. It's cold. <laughs> yes. And for the audience that don't know, Andy Huggins uh, is hilarious. He, his act includes a lot of like aging jokes and he brings great levity to the situation as we get older. And he, his sense of humor around it, I think, is, is very healing in a sense, because we're all going to hopefully get there. And um, I think with aging, you have to have a sense of humor. And you really bring that to the stage. Well, if, if you're going to write and, and you're getting older, how can you avoid the, how can you avoid the uh, topic? Uh, yeah. and here's the thing. Uh, Audiences will make 
an immediate judgment as to who you are the moment you hit the stage. They'll yeah. decide, oh, this is this is a competent person. This guy looks like a schlub. This guy's 71 years old. I'm 71 and I look it. So, uh, excuse me. Sure, no worries. Um, I thought I had turned it off. No worries. Um, but if as soon as uh, as soon as uh, I hit the stage, people thinking, "Old man." Well, might as well. Plus, you know, fact of the matter, I, I, for the most part, like being seventy-one. There's a lot to recommend it. I, but there's some things you just can't. You know, I'm, I'm not as spry as I used to be. Um, uh, my memory isn't what it used to be. Uh, and there's, you know certain aspects of uh, dating that age plays in. So how can you avoid it? How can you yeah. avoid it? So that's the topic. Um, I told somebody last night, as a matter of fact, the, the truism has always been write what you know. Mm -hmm. I think if you're a comic, you ought to write what you feel because laughter is an emotional yes. reaction. So I think the best topics and age certainly uh, falls into this category with me or the things that you have a very strong emotional reaction to. Yes. I'm a recovering alcoholic. There's that. I'm getting older every day. There's that. There's uh, uh, women. Uh, there's that. Uh, <laughs> and then there's, you know, certain things that happen in, in, in life that, that I react strongly to. So, uh, you know, it's, and if, if I sit down and write the best jokes I can, which is to say the funniest jokes I can, if they're about aging, they're going to have a a healing. Yes. Process. I, you know, I don't uh, I don't attack the aging process. I'm not mm -hmm. angry about it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's uh, I pretty much uh, it, it it's pretty much an accepted inevitable fact of life. Uh, we're yes. going to get older, and and I am now officially an old man, and all that that implies. So yes. you know, hopefully, if the jokes are good, if the jokes get big laughs, then people feel good about it. And I have, you know, I have maybe two, no, no, about a month ago, I did a, uh, a show at a uh, senior living. I don't know what the euphemism is now. It's, it's not a retirement. It's basically a retirement. And everybody in the audience, probably uh, 40 people or so, yeah. uh, my age or older, most were probably older, yes. did a 20-minute show for them, 25-minute show for them, killed it. They love the old jokes. They yeah. love it. Yeah. So. Well, I, I admire you. I really do. Because I, I, I see what you're doing, and I see the impact you're making on the stage, and um, I think it's just brilliant. So for oh, anybody, that, you. you can Google Andy on YouTube and find some of his stuff and or see him live. He's a Houston-based comic, and uh, it's just, it's really, really good. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, is there anything that you won't joke about as a comedian? Uh, I believe a comic or novelist or a poet or a songwriter should write about anything they want to. They're also responsible for literally everything they write. You can't get off the hook by saying, hey, I was just joking. Now, there's some things I won't uh, joke about. Uh, I won't. The popular phrase is uh, 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 punching down. I won't punch down. I'm not going to pick on uh, people without power. I'm not going to mock people. I don't mm -hmm. think I've ever, and 
you know, I don't object to this necessarily depending on the specific jokes, but I don't make fun of people's looks. Uh, if somebody's mentally handicapped in any sort of way, I don't make jokes about that. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pleased to say I'm not a racist, so I don't do racist yeah. jokes. I'm yeah. not misogynistic. I don't do, do those type of jokes. So yeah, yeah I just, I, I won't mock people. I won't yeah. mock somebody actual. I mean, some of the fictional characters I make up, and I'm not even sure how much I mock them, really. Kind of, sort of. But yeah. I'm, I'm not going to be mean. What yeah. my definition of mean. Yeah. I noticed some of your your humor is self-deprecating. I mean, the joke is on you. You yeah. turn it back on you, which um, I think it brings the audience, audience in on the joke and it diffuses any situation and it makes it more comfortable for everybody when we make the joke about ourselves. Yeah, and again, how can you not when in, unless you're somebody that never screws up? Mm -hmm. How can you not? Make I mean, I do uh, I do dumb things all the all the time, uh, mm -hmm. and you know, you, you chastise yourself for being dumb. And yeah. then the thought is, how can I make this into yeah. a challenge? So yeah, it's a lot of self-deprecating, but you know, I give myself a lot of material to work with. You know, I don't as self-deprecating goes. I don't give myself faults that I don't have. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't pretend like I'm a, an, an idiot and, mm -hmm. and mock myself for being stupid. Yeah. Uh, I don't mock myself for uh, uh, being bad at, uh, at uh, fighting or something. I, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a pugnacious person. So I, I, the, the, when I'm self-deprecating, I'm, I'm talking about faults that I have. Yeah. And I know one of your acts is centered around your history of heavy drinking and uh, it's very poignant because I think there's some heart lessons there that you have yeah. gone through with comedy being part of your healing process. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I'm pleased to say that this past Sunday marked 33 years sober. Wow, congratulations. Uh, when I first started doing comedy, I knew I had a drinking problem. So when I first started doing it, I didn't drink, but slowly hanging out with other comics, hanging out and clubs and bars, I started drinking again and the drinking got this. I started comedy in late 77. By uh, 81, I moved to Houston from Los, I was in Los Angeles, moved to Houston in 81 and the drinking got pretty bad. I quit drinking in uh, 88. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know, a lot of uh, that drinking and in my act, it's all in the past tense. I don't pretend. That's nothing. I don't pretend like I'm still, uh, you know, Dean Martin uh, uh, with a phony glass of bourbon and. Right, right. No, I tell everybody I'm a recovering alcoholic. I used to screw up, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, quite often uh, it's more history than it is comedy writing. If I, I was a blackout drunk, if I wasn't a blackout drunk, I might have an extra ten minutes worth of material. But, uh, you know, and again, it's, you, I start from a truthful place with it, then you go wherever the joke is, but uh, yeah. how can, how can, uh, how can I ignore, deciding to quit drinking and successfully thus far, mm -hmm. quitting drinking, that's one of the two or three most important things you can know about me as a person. 
and how can I how can I ignore it? And I've had, um, you know, and here's the deal, Lisa. I'm not interested in anything other than getting laughed. Now I talk about getting old. I talk about having been a drunk. I yeah. talk about women because those are the best jokes because they have a little guts to them. They have a little depth to them. They're relatable. And that's the only. Yeah. yeah, and you know that's the only reason I do it. I'm not trying to you know contribute to somebody's uh, progress uh, in in certain areas. I'm not trying to do that. But if it does that, great. Mm -hmm. I've had more than a few people come up to me after the show and. Uh, Tell me they're a friend of Bill W. We'll 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 talk a little bit. And you get again to harken back to a previous, you know, people my age or older, they come up to me after the shows, and you can almost tell they're uh, they're real pleased and almost proud that somebody their age is up there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, I don't know that it inspires them, but that it makes them feel good. Absolutely. Uh, one, of, one of their own is uh, is doing what I'm doing. Yes. So, yes. But the important thing is, I'm just trying to get laughs. And that's where I found the best laughs are. Uh, again, you write what you feel. Right. It's authentic uh, to you. Yeah, it's, it's authentic. And, you know, you start off with a premise or a setup that's authentic. And then the punchline goes wherever you need to go in order to get the laugh. But the, uh, the, uh, uh, the setup, the premise of it, uh, you know, for instance, uh, uh, this actually happened. I once fell off a bar stool while I was drinking. Actually happened. Now, where the punchline heads in a different direction than what happened, but that part of it, that happened. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, uh, that's, that's where all the jokes, I think that's probably true with every comic though. All the premises start from a true, a true place. Yes. And, you know, then you go to wherever the, uh, yes. I, I think the best comics are the realest comics. Yeah. Well, they're the biggest and best laughs. There's a depth to those yeah. types of laughs. I mean, you can get chuckles throughout, you know, doing what I used to do with the silly word play. You can yeah. get laughs and people enjoy that. That's a good thing. Yeah. But the better laughs are the ones that you, ha you have an emotional connection to the, the subject matter. They're just deeper laughs. They last longer. Yes. You had just mentioned that you left Los Angeles around 81 and came to Houston. Why did you make that change with, everybody knows LA is kind of like the central place for comedy. Why did Houston pull you this way? Um, I was in Los Angeles and I only worked the comedy store. I didn't work the improv. And the fact of the matter is I would go through these stretches with Mitzi Shore where she'd give me a lot of spots then she wouldn't. For weeks on end, she wouldn't. And I'd get depressed. Then she'd give me a lot of spots. So it's very erratic. Well, in 80, maybe early 81, Bill Hicks came to Los Angeles. I became great friends with Bill. My best friend, Jimmy Pineapple, uh, came to Los Angeles. And another great friend, Riley Barber, came to Los Angeles. All three of those guys were from Houston. They stayed out in Los Angeles for a while, then one, one, one by one, they moved back to Houston. Well, one day in uh, September of 81, they called me up and said, Andy, there's more stage time here in Houston than there is in Los Angeles. You need to come to Houston. Interesting. Now in Houston yeah, in Houston at the time, they were working primarily at the comedy workshop, uh, which is if the Houstonians, that was at uh, Shepherd and San Felipe. I think okay. it's 
appropriately a liquor store now. But, <laughs> I but that was a, yeah, that was a very popular uh, club in, in Houston in the uh, early 80s. It closed in uh, 1990, I think. But I came there in uh, uh, stage time there, and I grew so much, you know, parallel, I guess kind of a bear, uh, interesting parallel track. Um, as my drinking increased, my comedy stage time and my, my, my act got better. As mm -hmm. I was drinking more, the act got better. And then, you know, they kind of diverged at one point. But at one time in Harris County, uh -huh. uh, there are half a dozen different clubs. You know, the, the Last Stop, the Comedy Workshop. Oh, there was a great club called Spellbinders in the Montrose area. Uh, uh, the Good Humor Bar. Uh, I'm leaving some out, I think. Oh, the Comedy Showcase down 45 South off of Fuqua. So there was nothing but stage time. So that's why I came to Houston, because my good friends uh, called me up and told me accurately and happily more stage time in Houston. Oh, fantastic. Um, who would you say has been your biggest influences in comedy and who are your favorite comics today? Um, I probably should watch more stand-up these days than I do, but I just don't watch that much stand-up. I know a couple of people that uh, fall into that category. Uh, I tell you what, everybody's at the top of everybody's list these days, or one of the top two is Bill Burr. Bill Burr kills me. I will watch, sometimes you watch a comic just to, well, what's he doing here or what's he doing? How did she uh, phrase that? Bill Burr, I just sit back and let him be funny and I laugh. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Bill Burr. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I like John Mulvaney. Is that yes. how? Yeah, yeah. I, I like his act a lot. Chappelle, really dry, but I like his stuff too. Yeah, Chappelle, of course, is always interesting. Um, uh, anybody, there are probably some others. I just don't, you know, this is a fault of mine, and this is nothing uh, uh, other than a, uh, uh, this is on me. I'll go to YouTube to watch somebody, and this is a, a, a result of my age, I'm sure. If you don't nail me in the first 45 seconds, I change the yeah, or you, you got to score quick with me. You yeah. can't kind of into it because I just I'm so impatient. It's yeah, one of my worst faults these days, and it's entirely the result of getting older. I know, but like, um, what are you looking for in that like first minute that really brings you in? A joke. There are in my mind, and both are legitimate approaches to stand up. There are people who are mostly personality and attitude. And, and energy, and then there are people who are mostly material. Uh, and then there are people like Bill Burr who encompass both qualities. If, if you're all energy and personality and moving around and those comics are always loud and they're always moving a lot, you know, that's great. Uh, you know, there are probably eight dozen of them that are better at stand up than I. So it's not criticizing the approach. Uh, I, it just doesn't interest me. Just an enter. I want to hear a joke. In the first 45 seconds, I want to hear two or three jokes. I mean, strong material, whether it's a, a, a bit or a one-liner. I don't care. I want to, I, I like people who think funny as mm -hmm. opposed to 
people who just kind of are funny. And again, both legitimate uh, approaches. Yeah. yeah uh, but I just like people who, uh, you asked uh, about an early uh, influence. Yes, yes. Um, Woody Allen was a huge influence. I think Woody Allen was a huge influence on a lot of people my age. But his jokes were just, his jokes were uh, 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 mostly one-liners. But he also had these trips of fantasy that were just hysterical, like when he went moose hunting or, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that bit, but look mm -hmm. that up. Um, yeah. But he's, he's, he's intelligent silliness is how I think of Woody Allen, his stand-up. I yeah. don't know if you're familiar at all with his stand-up, but it's, it's in, uh, it's intelligent silliness. And he was a, uh, an influence on mm -hmm. me. Uh, the other really big influence is just comics themselves with jokes. I, I'd watch them on Ed Sullivan or um, uh, Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas, whatever. Uh, and just the fact that there were comics that had words that formed into jokes. Mm -hmm. That's just a huge revelation to me, a huge. If I were to have a Mount Rushmore, people like these days at the, 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 the favored analogy, who's on your Mount Rushmore, yeah. whatever. One of them for me would be a almost generic comic from the Ed Sullivan show, because God, I love those guys. And I say guys, because they were almost all guys. They were just, a, mm -hmm. else. but uh, that was a big, the, the fact that they existed was an influence. And then specific yeah. style, Woody Allen kind of, Though I was thinking it the other day, um, when you get right down to it, I come from the uh, the Henny Youngman, Rodney Dangerfield tree of comedy. <laughs> set up punchline, set up punchline, set up punchline. Yep. I say Woody Allen because of his silliness, his intelligent silliness. Yep. But he didn't do strictly one-liners. He'd come up with a, a story and tell a story throughout. And the story was told in one-liners. But... Uh, I mean, yeah, let me admit my uh, answer and say the biggest influence, I come from the Henny Young tree. I come from the Rodney Dangerfield tree. Those are... Yes, he's a funny guy. Them. Yeah, I love those guys. Who else would be on your Mount Rushmore of comedy? Well, it depends. Is it people that influence me or people that I think are most important to the... Either or. I'm sorry? Either or. Your, your choice. This is your mountain. Uh, well, let's do the most important stand-ups, in my opinion. Okay. Lenny Bruce. Okay. Richard Pryor. Definitely. Pryor's the best stand-up comic I've ever seen in my life. And I've seen so many great comics. And yep. nobody's a close second. Yeah. To uh, to uh, Richard Pryor. Yeah. Um, boy, he was something. Yeah. Um, let's see, who else? Influence. You know, in a sense, gosh, stand-up covers so much. Yeah. You can't do it in four. I mean, <laughs> how, can, how can you, but you know what, just to, to be uh, uh, one aspect of it, to be fair, why not Phyllis Diller? I think she was a big influence on, on, on females getting into stand-up uh, yeah. at a certain time. Now, the, 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 because most of them did at the beginning, you know, one-liner, set up punchline like yeah. Phyllis, Phyllis Diller, and very aggressive uh, delivery. Um, uh, 
But do you think she had to be because it was kind of a male-dominated business? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting thing, Lisa. I, um, I was born in 1950. It wasn't until I went out to Los Angeles in 1977 that I met a woman for whom being funny was important, who liked to be funny in groups. That just didn't happen in the 60s because being funny in a group, that's kind of an aggressive, assertive way to behave. And women just didn't do that in the 50s mm -hmm. and the 60s. Mm -hmm. so I didn't even know, you know, a, a woman that in a group of five was going to try and come up with a, a you know, a smart ass joke. Yeah. Smart ass. Now, I'm guessing, I'm hoping that in the 50s and 60s among themselves, women were hysterical because they felt free to be wise guys or be wise women with each other. But it didn't yeah. happen. It didn't happen uh, uh, when I was growing up. Mm -hmm. So it, it, you kind of had to be aggressive just to get get noticed. And Phyllis Diller, she, she wasn't like angry aggressive, but boy, she, she, she threw out the punchlines and then tag, 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 tag. Yeah, yeah. So we got Lenny Bruce. Yep. We got uh, Richard Pryor. We got Phyllis Diller. I don't know, important to the, his, you know, you could, you could make a, a case for Jonathan Winters influence in a, a certain style. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Winters led to Robin Williams, who led to mm. others, to, you know, Jim Carrey, who lead to, and boom, and boom, and boom. Yeah. But Jonathan Winters up there. Plus, I'm not sure anybody, I mean, when it comes to like laughing hard, like I can't believe I don't think anybody ever nailed me like Jonathan Winters used to. He'd say some things that was just like, you're gasping, oh my God, and laughing yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Wow, great. He was so, great. So clever. Yeah. And I think an influence too. Mm -hmm. So those would be, those would be, uh, here's an interesting one to consider if you're talking yeah. about. Uh, there was a comic, he was an actor, and he's, credited uh, for being the first stand-up. This is back in the 30s. He kind of created the whole idea of an MC and a guy coming out just by himself and doing jokes before people would come out with a partner or they'd come out with props. And and as far as MCs go, they used to have like ladies come out with a card saying, you know, the great Santini. And then they would be. But Frank Phelan is given credit as uh, being the first stand-up comic. Here's the problem with that, if you want to put him on right. He was a vicious, vicious anti-Semite. Mm. Vicious anti-Semite. So maybe you just want to pretend like Frank Phelan never existed. But, you know, if, I guess if you're going to be historically accurate, he'd have to be up there because he, he was the first. Yeah. So I have a question about the comedy business and joke writing and joke stealing. Has anybody ever stolen your joke and what did you do about it? Um, yes. <laughs> uh, i tell you one time, I'll, I, excuse me for uh, name dropping, but that's the way the story goes. Out at the comedy store, somebody did a joke of mine at the comedy store and I think in the main room and uh, Gary Shannon heard it and called him on it. He said, you can't, that's Huggins joke, you can't. You can't be doing that. The times, I've never 
accused anybody of stealing a joke. When I see that they've done a joke that's similar to mine, mm -hmm. I give them the benefit of the doubt. I point out to them, look, we got these two jokes are the same. If, uh, if indeed they did, did steal it, they get the hint. Mm -hmm. right, they're on notice that I, and you know, you know, sometimes <coughs> there's certain, and I can think of one example of this, uh, and actually it involves wordplay. It's possible for two people <coughs> to come up with the same joke. Um, excuse me a second here. Yeah, take a uh, drink. No worries. You, you get product placement for this? <laughs> Nothing. Oh, okay. It's all free and whoever's going to enjoy it. Uh, if somebody does a joke that involves wordplay, mm -hmm. a pun particularly, I guarantee you somebody else has done that joke completely independent of you. That's just the way wordplay goes. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and so I keep that in mind. There's been a couple of instances where that was the case. And I was willing, absolutely willing to concede that the person came up with the joke independently of me, but I just made him aware that we both have the same jokes. We need, if we're both on the same show, yeah, not to, not to do it. Yeah. That, is, that has happened uh, before, but um, I've never gotten that. I've never had an ugly confrontation Yeah. with uh and now I think about another time that it happened. It was it was wordplay. You know, if it's a pun, I guarantee you, if not another comic, somebody in the world has made that pun and it's been on the internet or it's been done in a show. So you can't get too, uh, you can't get on your high horse, really, mm. and be too uh, self-righteous about it because chances are excellent. They just came up with the same pun that you Yeah, made. yeah. Do uh, comedians sue other comedians for joke stealing? Nope. Nope. No. That's not, that's not done, huh? No. You can Here's, buy jokes from each other and. Yeah. I, yeah. I have, yeah. Um, here's the best solution <laughs> I ever heard about joke stealing. Do you know who Professor Erwin Corey is? I bet you don't. No. He was a double, what they used to call a double talk. He died not too long ago and he was close to a hundred. Look him up, Professor Erwin Corey. He was just a crazy kind of a personality. Uh, he did a lot of double talk with uh, non sequiturs, and, and and he was very funny. He's just a funny guy. What's his last name again? Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, okay. Professor Erwin Corey. Uh, one time a friend of mine was talking to uh, Professor Corey, and he was complaining because uh, somebody stole one of his bits. And my friend goes, but what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. Professor Corey says, here's what you do. You sneak, sneak up behind him with a beer bottle. You hit him over the head, and when he comes to, you say, because you stole. And that's, that's <laughs> the, the best solution I've heard. I, you know, comics have been grabbed and slammed up against walls. Yeah, yeah. It, it's personal, right? I mean, that, oh, that's it, your, it's your, your one of your children. Yeah, Plus, yeah. It's hard to come up with a good joke, and somebody steals it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, especially when it's personal, like you oh, talked yeah. about like, drinking or aging and... It, it's straight to the heart, you know? Well, that's what some people say one way to protect yourself against people stealing from you is to make the joke so personal that it just wouldn't suit. I mm -hmm. mean, if somebody was going to steal some jokes from me, they'd have to be 60, 70 years old themselves. Yeah, 
if yeah. they're going to do that. I don't have anything to worry about from the uh, the young guns. As yeah. Far as goes. Yeah. Um, are there a lot of people in your age range still doing it, or do they typically retire? Or how how unique is an Andy Huggins in the comedy world? Fairly unique, I think. I mean, there's you know, I I wish I could say I'm one of maybe three, but there, you know, they're you know, in every city, I'm sure there's a couple of people, more than a couple of people my age doing it. Now, as it happens, uh, in Houston, there's, uh, I can think of one lady who's near my age, who's worked a lot, Carolyn, Caroline Picard. She works a lot. She's a couple of years younger than me, but not many. Mm -hmm. not many. Yeah. What, what would be it's your, like, who wants to be grinding at age 71? Why not? I, yeah. I, I fully well, admire if you. Yeah. If it's what you're meant to do, which is why, yeah. which is why I got here. But, you know, I, I don't have a, a, a family. I, 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 can't, uh, I could see spending time with grandchildren might be more enjoyable than writing jokes or yeah. going on the road. But, uh, <laughs> not, too, not too many. I'm trying to think. My friend Dick Kendall died a couple of years ago, and he was he used to do a lot of stand up. He was, I think, he had a couple of years on me, but uh, uh, not too many men in Houston. Yeah. Speaking of the road, are you currently working under these pandemic conditions, or how has that affected your stand up? It's cut down on it a little bit because clubs, um, uh, some clubs closed. Uh, I've uh, I've been to a couple of out of town gigs. Uh, it, it affected it a little bit uh, as far as that goes, but I think most of them are have reopened. Uh, so you know, in a sense, it's it's just you know what has happened to some degree is that you know a lot of comics that might otherwise be doing uh uh. uh arena shows mm -hmm. not arena shows anymore so they've dropped down and now they're doing clubs mm -hmm. and so that maybe squeezed out a couple of club comics because you know if, if it's going to be you or the the headliner with that the, they can draw three thousand people you know you're in the audience that night yeah so it's, it's had that effect yeah so what would be like your dream gig if you could ever get one? What would be your dream audience, dream play, dream gig? Lisa, I actually have one and in my thoughts and prayers every every night I ask for this. Perfect gig, 20 minute set, first of all. I don't want to do an hour. I don't want to do 45. 20 minutes, you know, one-liner, set up punchline, set up punchline, set up punchline. 20 minutes is perfect. I tell you the dream gig and I don't think anybody does it, but opening for a singer like a, 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 in a nightclub, you know, like the, the Copacabana come out and do 20 minutes ahead of uh, whoever the, 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 the new Frank Sinatra is, has a nice band behind them. People are dressed up in tuxedos. Uh, I, I'd be willing to come out and do 20 minutes in a tuxedo. That to me uh, would be the dream gig or, you know, opening for a, uh, <clears throat> A, a, a headliner, a comedy headliner, just doing 20 minutes. Yeah. I just, yeah, I like, I love clubs. I like uh, um, working clubs. Let me do 20 minutes, keep me working steadily three or four uh, nights a week. I'm low maintenance. 
Mm -hmm. uh, seems to me it'd be perfect for everybody if somebody could just make that happen. They can just shove me off to the side. Don't have to worry about Huggins anymore. He's doing his thing. <laughs> Too funny. Um, speaking of audiences, uh, what is your take on what's a good audience, what's a bad audience? How do you read that and enter uh, your performance with your audience? Um, I, it, you know what I need? I, I want the old joke used to be everybody facing the same direction. Uh, just pay attention. Rudeness is, is a problem, of course, but rudeness is a problem if you're, uh, if, if, if you're, if you're a waiter or a, or a desk clerk. So just, you want people to show up because they want to laugh, as you mentioned earlier, and that's almost always the case mm -hmm. with a club. So you want them to come in with the right attitude and you want them to pay attention. Mm -hmm. I don't like, I don't like drunks. So I yeah. don't, I, uh, you know, that can be a problem, but mm -hmm. uh, that, yeah, just, and you know what, a very, <clears throat> I'm very lucky in that I do very well in front of all kinds of demographics. So it can be a young audience, it can be an mm -hmm. old audience, it can be African-American, white, Hispanic, uh, and mixtures, uh, doesn't matter. So that mm -hmm. part of it, you, you know, can be whatever it's going to be. Um, uh, Your material is very universal, so. It, it, and you know what? I've never sat down and wrote jokes with that in mind. Mm. I write down, I sit down and try to write the funniest joke I can. Very fortunate, it crosses a lot of demographics. So it does, it yeah. does work. And you know, everybody knows an alcoholic. Everybody knows somebody that's getting old. They may be getting old. God knows everybody's, uh, 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 had problems in the areas of uh, romance and sex and relationships. So yeah, it's, it, it covers uh, covers a lot of ground. Definitely covers the whole gamut. Yeah. Um, so what has been your favorite joke? Uh, I tell you, this, there are two drinking jokes that I like a lot at the moment. Now, if you were to ask me tomorrow, I might have two other jokes that come to mind. Sure. But the two favorite drinking jokes, um, uh, oh, I, I used to love to drink during the holidays. I would get drunk and go trick-or-treating. Every holiday, I would get drunk and go trick-or-treating, which made for an odd armor day. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what's the other one I like a lot? Um, Oh, I used to, uh, is it, is it, yeah, I used to uh, drink during college. My senior year in college, I wrote a paper entitled The History of Public Intoxication in the United States of America from Colonial Days to Early This Morning. So <laughs> those, those two drinking jokes, I, I like an awful lot. But you know what, Lisa? I like all my jokes. Yeah. yeah I, just, I, do, I really do. I really yeah. do like all my jokes. I get a kick. Uh, and uh, in, a, in, a, in a way of dealing with my memory isn't what it used to be. I go over my act mm -hmm. four or five times a week, just joke by joke by joke. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it helps me retain the jokes themselves. Yeah. And I get, I get, I look at it, it, it kind of builds my confidence up. Not that it needs a lot of building up, but I feel good about it because I read mm -hmm. these are good jokes. Yeah. 
So if no. somebody was starting off as a comedian and getting into the business, what advice would you give them? Here's, you've got to be patient. You've got to be patient. If you're starting out next Monday, you're not going to be headlining by two Thursdays from now. Right. You've got to be patient in building your act and you got to be patient with the career. Now, with that in mind, write every day, set aside whatever your writing process is, and everybody has uh, their own. Do it every day, because you know what? Most of what you write is going to be crap, and you got to get out of your system. Mm -hmm. um, and get on stage as often as uh, possible. And yeah. here's what I tell, and as uh, you and your listeners, uh, viewers can tell, I'll talk about comedy all day and all night and pontificate I have all kinds of theories and uh, uh, beliefs that are good theory. I mean, I'm entitled. I mean, I know what I'm talking about. But while pontificating, two or three times, I will tell people, look, listen to the audience. The audience knows more than I do. I can tell you why this joke shouldn't work. If the audience laughs, then, you know, the hell with me. Here's what I tell people. And this is assuming you think funny. This isn't, you know, you're bored with your life and you need something to do. If you think funny, if you're actually a funny person, then trust your instincts and then listen to the audience. In other words, do what you think is funny and keep what the audience mm -hmm. thinks. Is funny. Yeah. And just be brutally honest with yourself. You, I, you know, you see people all the time that they, they think they, uh, they did real well when they didn't. Mm -hmm. you know, if you get five minutes on a, an open mic, uh, just being up there for five minutes isn't doing well if you didn't get last. But, you know, some yeah. people think they killed. You, you got to be on, you know, lie to the uncle that's making fun of you for attempting this. You know, tell him all kinds of lies about how well you're doing. Don't lie to yourself. Don't yeah. lie to yourself. Uh, be brutally honest. And it's going to take a while to, mm. uh, to, to build up an act. It's going to take you probably over a year to get, a fi to get five minutes and yeah. that won't get you opening work, yeah. but you need five minutes that gets last from start to finish. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and so you just got to be patient, which means, and it's going to be rough because you're going to stink some nights for reasons you don't even understand. Yeah. This is stuff killed the night before. How come I'm bombing now? So uh, you, you, you got to be patient. You got to be, have a thick skin. You know what? And you got to love doing it. Because yeah. it's not worth it if you don't love doing it. It really isn't hanging out, signing up. You know, you, maybe you're you're so maybe you're not going on till twelve forty-five in the morning in front of three people. It's brutal. And yeah. you know, maybe you have a, a girlfriend or a wife or a family, and now you gotta spend some time away, and you gotta negotiate that uh, relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, so you better love it, because it really isn't worth it if if you don't. It really isn't. Yeah. That's great advice. Yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Any other like last minute things before we close out that you would like to share about the comedy world or just anything? Well, as long as we're talking about open mics and the like in Houston and comedy, yeah. uh, every Monday at Rogers is a great um, yeah. uh, uh, comedy show. It's open mic, but a lot of the pros such as myself, show up to try out new material. The audience, it's a great room for comedy. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and the audiences are, 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 are terrific. It's well run. So if any of you folks uh, live in Houston, Monday night at eight is Rudyard. There are a couple of other, uh, there's Darwin's on Wednesday. Uh, there's a place called um, uh, Vibe, no, not Vibe. Oh, I'm embarrassed now. There's one. The Improv? Now, the Improv is a great room for a race. And they used to have an open mic on Tuesday. But yeah, the Improv is uh, a great room that's uh, open usually uh, Wednesday through Sunday. It, it varies from, but they have great headliners on the weekends. And uh, 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 the Secret Group is going to be reopening oh. soon, late May. They have some sort of they have three different rooms, mm -hmm. no, two different, two different rooms. I think they were going to turn one into a restaurant, but they changed their mind. They have two different rooms. They have some sort of comedy going on uh, 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 every night. Usually pretty good. A lot of gimmicky type shows, which are yeah. fun if you like those type of shows. And then a lot of just straight ahead mm -hmm. uh, stand-up comedy, just comic, 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 which, uh, it, which is terrific also. Low-key operation, uh, but it's well run and a lot of good comics hang out. Go there. In fact, all the good comics, all the good comics uh, in, in Houston will end up at the secret group over um, the course of the week. I am if so happy to hear that things are opening back up. I think uh, we've all missed comedy. We've all missed a sense of humor this last year. It's been very challenging and we've had to find humor in this last year, but uh, I definitely see on the horizon better times coming and glad to hear all these comedy places are opening up again. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's getting, uh, I think it's getting better. Um, I'm real proud of Houstonians with a couple of exceptions, but as far as adhering to some of the protocol involved with uh, COVID, they've done a good job. Yeah. They clubs themselves and, and the audience members, you know, they're more than a few bumps in the road yeah. Um, but uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. But uh, let, let me tip my hat to uh, my fellow Houstonians. Good job, folks. Yeah. And I ditto that sentiment. Yeah. Well, thank you, a Andy, for being with me today. And if you guys like this pleasure. video, please hit the thumbs uh, button and hit subscribe for new videos when they drop. And thank you for watching. Thank you again, Andy. Thank you, Lisa. I enjoyed myself. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.